Well, good morning. Welcome again. I'm Pastor Michael Porter. I'm the lead pastor at Fellowship of Grace here, and I uh, just uh, I, I'm just thrilled to be here with you today. I'm excited about what God's doing in our church and in our midst. And we had a great, great first service. So uh, the second service doesn't go so well. I guess you know whose fault that is. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Hey, uh, you know, I was, how many of you uh, heard yourself singing that jingle sometime this week? Anybody? Maybe it's just me that I've heard. Yeah, thank you. I'm like, man, it just keeps going through my head. And, and Julie and I had three really big fights this week, and each time we just went out on the beach and danced, and it worked out just fine. It was perfect. Every time we had conflict, we just did that thing, and, and it worked out great. Uh, no, we are actually uh, in the midst of this series on deep love. And by the way, one of the people you should deeply love is your mom. Don't forget next week. By the way, guys, if you haven't uh, got it on your radar, I'm, I'm saving your hide. Uh, next week is Mother's Day. And so um, uh, we're just going to have a, a special day next week. And by the way, if you are here and you're a member and you want to dedicate, dedicate your children, you haven't done that yet, uh, we can certainly do that next week. Let uh, Pastor Derek or Pastor John or myself to uh, know, and we'll get you guys on the schedule. Also next week, we're going to have a, a photo booth uh, in where the Connection Center usually is. And so that'll be a great time for you to bring your mom or your wife and, and uh, uh, take a picture. And so we'll get, the, get that all set up for you so you can come and, and take a picture with your mom. And, and, and don't tell Julie, but that's, that's going to be my gift for her. So uh, I'm just kidding. It's not. I'm better than that, okay? <laughs> but uh, anyway, we're going to do that for you. I hope that will be meaningful to you. So we've been in this uh, series now for several uh, weeks on deep love. And we've talked about uh, three things already. Personality, how they affect our relationships, uh, communication, and conflict. And today we're going to end the series talking about adaptability. Now, adaptability is uh, uh, an important part of relationships. And if you're not familiar maybe, with the term of adaptability, it's one of the few uh, words, I think, that really uh, kind of tells you what it means by what it says or what it sounds like. It is the ability to adapt. Actually, the definition of adaptability is the quality of being able to adjust to new and changing conditions. Now, let me ask you a question. How many of you's life is exactly today the way you thought it would be five years ago? Anybody? How many of you today, your life is exactly the way you thought it would be three years ago? Right. You see, lives change all the time. Uh, there are things that we don't expect. Uh, none of us can see the future and everything in it. And so one of the things that we need to learn to do, especially in our relationships, is learn to adapt uh, to the way that things change. And now as I was studying for this sermon and preparing for it and, and all that kind of thing, I ran across uh, an article, I'm not sure if it was a blog or a very long tweet or what it was, uh, by a lady named Karen Cross, and it, it, it spoke to me. And it, it, it spoke to me to hopefully speak to you. I wanted to share it with you. And so I'm going to read now just an ex, ex, excerpt from her article, okay? And if you want to read the entire thing on the internet, her name is Karen Cross. Here's what she says. She says, laughing and dancing with my fiancé at our engagement party, I thought I might actually burst with happiness. Surrounded by our family and friends, I looked at Matthew and felt certain I had met the man I was going to spend the rest of my life with. Quite simply, he was my soulmate. We were desperately in love and had our future life mapped out for us. First, we would save to buy our own home. Then we would uh, come to a romantic wedding ceremony and, and children would follow. It all seemed so simple to my naive 19-year-old self. I was, I smugly told myself, the girl who had it all. 
So why, 20 years later, do I find myself single, childless, and tormented by the fact that I have thrown away the only true chance of happiness I ever had? And this is Karen. She said, eight years after that wonderful engagement party in 1989, I walked away from dear, devoted, loyal Matthew, convinced that somewhere out there, a better, more exciting, more fulfilling life awaited me. Only there wasn't. Now I'm 42 and have all the trappings of success. A high-flying career, financial security, and a home in the heart of London's trendy Notting Hill. But I don't have the one thing I crave more than anything, a loving husband and family. My father warned me not to throw this love away, but I was sure I'd find Mr. Perfect around the corner. You see, I never did find another man who offered everything Matthew did, who understood me and loved me like he did. Someone who is my best friend as well as my lover. Today, seeing friends with their children around them tortures me, as I know I am unlikely ever to have a family of my own. I think about the times Matthew and I talked about having children, even discussing the names we would call them. I cannot believe I turned my back on so much happiness. Instead, here I am, back on the single market, looking for the very thing I discarded with barely a backward glance all those years ago. I know I can't have Matthew back, and it hurts when I hear snippets of information about his life and how content he is. Fifteen years after I ended our relationship, he is happily married. She goes on in this article to share details about how their lives changed and her inability to adapt to these changes and her expectations that went unfulfilled. And then she ends with this. At this time of year, so many people will be assessing their lives and relationships, wondering if the grass is greener on the other side. Many will mistake contentment for boredom, forgetting to cherish the good things they have. I would urge those who are considering walking away from such riches to think again. To those out there thinking of walking away from humdrum relationships, I would say don't mistake contentment for unhappiness as I did it could be a choice you'll regret for the rest of your life. Now, folks, I would love to say that she's the only one that's made that choice. But it's simply not true. Fact is, when we look at the overall assessments of our church, and again, we don't see your individual scores, but close to 50 couples in our church have taken it now. We don't see your overall, your personal score, but we see all of the scores combined together. The reality is, most of us have average marriages. There are some areas where we excel, and there are some areas that we have challenges. And by the way, it doesn't matter how long you've been married. So today, I want to talk to you about adaptability. Your life is not going to be like it is right now, a year from now, five years from now, 10 years from now, 25 years from now. But I want you to think about uh, uh, this key part of relationships, especially those of married couples, but of everybody, really, and, and help us understand how we can learn uh, to adapt to these changing circumstances around us. How can we learn to not let them steal away our happiness and cause us to make foolish decisions that we regret for the rest of our lives. So I want to talk about three ways to do that, and then briefly at the end, 
I'll tell you three things to really guard against. The first thing I want to share with you is this. Guard your perspective. Guard your perspective. Romans 8.28 says this, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Now I would say that if we took a poll of Christians in our midst, and I ask you the question, do you think that everything works to your benefit eventually if you love God, if somebody is really called according to his purpose? All of us would say yes. But it's important that we believe that principle in the midst of the storm, not just after it's all over. Listen, many of us have stories where we go, man, I went through this terrible time and, and I felt like God was gone and God ran away from me and I couldn't find him and, and he was so uh, just, I, I, just invisible to me. And then three years later, I can look back and say, oh, I, I, I see how God was working in that. I see what God was doing. That, that makes sense to me now. I've shared before how as a child I had terrible asthma problems. I know you look at me and think, man, what a jock he probably was. Uh, but it wasn't so. It wasn't so, okay? I was never able to be involved in sports. In fact, I was that little kid who had the note uh, from the doctor that didn't have to run at gym class, okay? Because of my physical ability and just my, my asthma and my allergy problems. So my parents made me take music lessons. And in and, and those moments, I remember being in third, fourth, fifth grade taking piano lessons, which really wasn't very cool in the third grade. And... and I, I was mad at God, and I didn't, I didn't like what was happening in my life. But I see now through decades how God has used my music to minister to people, to bless people, to bring me joy, uh, just all kinds of wonderful things. It's easy to look back and see what he was doing now. Man, it's so hard in the midst of that storm, though, isn't it? Listen, when unexpected changes in life come, do we immediately focus on the fact that God is working out something good for us? Or do we forget this principle? Our perspective gets all out of whack. Like, God, where are you? What are you doing? Listen, we need to believe this, folks, even when we don't see it. Even when we don't understand it. Even when we're in the midst of the tornado, we need to say, okay, God, I don't get it, but I still trust you. I still believe that's true. And it changes our perspective. Look at Psalm 23, 6. It says, Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, we use this all the time in funerals because we emphasize, and we shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So when our loved ones have passed away, we can be assured of that. We don't focus too much on the first part, but I want us to do that today. Surely... Goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And your name doesn't have to be Shirley to, to get that, okay? It's for everybody. Goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Folks, God's all the days of our lives. Now, why do we not experience that sometimes? Because our perspective's off. Our perspective's off. We think uh, God's really in our lives to make us happy. I'm not happy all the time. Things happen and circumstances don't work out to where I'm really happy. Where's God? What's he doing? Folks, get over it. God has no intention of making us happy. He doesn't care about our happiness. He is trying to turn us into a reflection of his son, Jesus Christ. 
and he will do that by any means possible. You think Paul was happy about being in prison? You think Paul was happy about getting beat up every time he went into a town and told him about Jesus? I don't think Paul was a very happy guy. He had a lot of joy deep down in his soul, but he wasn't happy about life and circumstances. That'd be, he'd, he'd be a psycho if he was <laughs> really happy about all that. But folks, God's goodness and mercy wants to follow us all the days of our lives if we'll just understand the perspective that God is for us. God is with us. If we just maintain this perspective, responding and adapting to difficult situations and circumstances becomes so much easier. It just becomes so much easier. So we need to guard our perspective, make sure that it stays on, on who God is and what he's doing in our lives. The second thing I would encourage you to do is cultivate gratitude. We need to have an attitude of gratitude. Now, starting next week, we're going to start a series through the book of Colossians. And I've been reading it, and I've got several verses that I want to share with you today. One of them is right here, Colossians 3.17. It says, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Listen, when we're focused on being thankful for what we do have, our minds don't get the chance to focus on complaining about what we don't have. I was actually uh, helping a couple this week, uh, counseling a couple this week who has taken the assessment. And we got to a specific area of their relationship and we talked about kind of how their personalities were and, and how they communicate and all this stuff. And, and they basically, one of them basically said, so what you're saying is this is probably going to be a challenge for us the rest of our lives. I'm like, yeah, probably. And, and, and they felt defeated. I said, but hang on. And I turned to the back page of the assessment. And I said, but look at all the ways you guys are like right on target. Look at all the ways you guys have this sense of oneness, this sense of unity. Boom, 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 boom. Look at that. I need to focus on that. Yes. Bingo. You got it. Listen, there are no perfect people, folks. There are no perfect people and there are no perfect human relationships. There just aren't. By the way, if you know that couple whose, whose marriage is perfect... Uh, now you know what their problem is. They're both compulsive liars, okay? That's just, the, I mean, listen, folks, we are all human beings, and we all bring a certain uh, a sense of selfishness and, and self to our relationship. But we need to be thankful for who God has blessed us with rather than complain in our minds and our hearts about the shortcomings of the relationship. Listen, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sure for each one of us, we could probably, if I, if I ask you the question, name two things that are a real challenge in your marriage, I bet you could go boom, boom. But if I said to you, name three things that are like off the chart great about your marriage, most of us would go, well, let me think. Uh, hang on, I'll get it. It'll, it'll come to me. I, I, something about that assessment. Uh, what, let me think. Uh, Sweetheart, what was that? Do you remember? See, because we don't focus on those things. Bless you. We focus, we focus on the one or two things that are not good in our relationships instead of all the things that are good about our relationships. Folks, we need to be more grateful. You need to be more thankful 
for what God has done for us. You know, one of the ways that I just have this kind of attitude about life is every time they're at our house or they're with us, I mean, we pray for our meals all the time. And when they come over, I, I try to pray and say, God, help us not take you for granted. Help us be really thankful for what we have. Now listen, there are some times that meals aren't quite as good as they are other times. Sometimes it's a bologna sandwich and some stale potato chips. And we can whine and complain about that, but I tell my grandsons, I say, you know what, guys? And they're just 10, 8, 6, and almost 3. I tell them, you know what, guys? Almost a third to almost a half of the world will not eat this good the whole day today. We need to be really grateful and thankful for what God's done for us. They're 10, 8. They get it. They're like, wow. That's cool. That's, a, that's an attitude of gratitude. We need that in our relationships too, folks. We need to tell each other how grateful we are for all the wonderful things that we are to each other and we can be to each other. The third thing I want us to see is that we need to practice genuine forgiveness. Uh, practice forgiveness. But as I thought about it more, I needed to really emphasize genuine forgiveness because I think sometimes we as Christians try to mask uh, what is really not forgiveness as forgiveness. It needs to be genuine. It needs to be real. Look what Colossians said, and I want you to, uh, chapter 3, verses 12 through 13, and I want you to pay really close attention uh, to the end of this passage. It says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Folks, I want you to practice genuine forgiveness, not only because it's right, not only because God tells us to do it, because it's better for you. Think about it. If somebody's offended you, let's say somebody offended you a week ago, and you're just not going to forgive them. You're going to stew and fret about that. You've been going all week being angry and frustrated at them. You've gone to bed every night mad. You're awake at night, and they're at home sleeping like a baby, enjoying life. You see, your unforgiveness doesn't do anything to hurt them. All it does is hurt you. That's one of the reasons God, because he loves us, says, listen, forgive. Let it go. Uh-oh, I'm going to slip into a song. <laughs> Let it go, okay? Listen, unforgiveness always tortures the one who is unforgiving, not the one who is offended. Now, here's a forgiveness test for you. Let's see if your forgiveness is really genuine. Are you always expecting repeat bad behavior from someone? In other words, if somebody has offended you once and they said, oh, forgive me, I didn't mean to do that, I apologize. Okay, I forgive you. Then they did it again and, and you go, okay, well, I see, I'm seeing a pattern here, but I forgive you. Third time, okay, I forgive you. Now fourth or fifth time, you're like, "Why? Well, they're just going to do it again. I know they're going to. I just expect it. I expect them to be that way towards me. Folks, that's not real forgiveness. That's not real forgiveness. Do you bring up past offenses that supposedly have been resolved when an argument or a conflict takes place? 
So you begin to discuss something, and this is just like what you did back in 2007. You are, this has never changed. You're just like this. You keep, now think about what we just read. I am so thankful that when I do something stupid and sinful that I've done before and before and before, and before, and before, and before, and before, and before. God doesn't say to me, man, Michael, I just expect that out of you. Fact, man, here it is. You're doing it just again, just like I expected, just to repeat. You see, folks, our responsibility to forgive is the same level that God has forgiven us. God never beats me up over my past failures and sinfulness. He just forgives me. In fact, when Jesus said, when, when Jesus was being tested by the religious leaders and they said, how many times should we forgive somebody? Jesus said, 70 times seven. Now don't do the math and say, okay, I've already forgiven you 487 times. You've got three left. That's it. Okay, what Jesus was saying there is, listen, you forgive like God does over and 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 over again. Now, I'm not saying be a doormat to somebody and just let them make you a victim all the time. I'm not saying that. But that's different than holding something against someone, folks. And I know that we have this kind of American Christianity in our mind about having rights. Well, I, I have a right to not be treated that way. I have a right. And he doesn't say, you know, Michael, I have a right for you not to treat me this way. Boy, I'm happy about that. I'm glad he never says, you've done this 57 times, Michael. You've done this 499 times. You've done this 699 times. I'm not letting you get away with another one. He always forgives. We need to be like that, folks. What if God forgave you the very same way that you forgive your spouse? How would things be for you right now? Just a thought. So there are three key things, folks, I think, to learning to be adaptable, learning to take life as it comes, learning to have really good and deep, loving relationships, even in the midst of the storm. Guard your perspective. Make sure that it stays eternal. Cultivate an attitude of gratitude and then practice genuine forgiveness, not only in our, our, our marriages, but with our children, with our parents, with every, every single relationship that we have. Now, let me share with you very briefly uh, three things that will cripple your adaptability, three things that will make it impossible uh, for you to have good and loving relationship. <laughs> it's funny. Uh, uh, words are so descriptive. You know what's wrong with self-pity? It's all about self. It's all about me. It's a me-me world. It's 100% focus on self. And it's usually focusing on what we don't have or what somebody hasn't done for us rather than what they do for us or what we do have. This is the thankfulness killer, by the way. You slip into self-pity, and, and, and just like if you're thankful, if you've really got a thankful heart and mind, you can't focus on the negative. If you get into this self-pity world, you can't possibly think about things that you should be thankful for. 
they're just, the self-pity crowds them out of your brain, crowds them out of your heart. Don't live in a self-pity place. Secondly, blame. Blame. Blame is about living in the past instead of changing the future. It's about saying, you did something, you did something, you did something. And by the way, in relationships, uh, uh, there's always a percentage of responsibility for e- e- each one of us. Since none of us are perfect people, I've never had somebody come into my office and say, hey, hey Pastor, I just want you to know, my wife is really perfect. I mean, she's awesome. She, I mean, I can't, I, I can't even tell you anything I would change about her. She should be the model that every woman should live up to. Everything's 100% my fault. I've never had anybody do that. You know why? Because relationships don't work that way. And there aren't any perfect people. So the reality is, folks, uh, uh, in relationships, when things go badly, uh, it's, it's some percentage of both people's fault. Now, it might be 80-20, might be 60-40, might be 50-50. I don't know. But somebody's always got a percentage of the blame to go in there. And generally speaking, all of us are pointing out the other person's blame rather than our own. But don't forget counseling universal rule number one. I can't control anybody on the planet but myself and barely that. <laughs> That's, that's universal rule number one. I can't make somebody else uh, act and treat me in a certain fashion. I can only control me. And man, I can barely do that with God's help. So listen, don't, don't go down the blame game uh, road. Uh, that is nothing there but, but uh, bad relationships. And lastly, resentment. Resentment is bitter indignation for being treated fairly. I'm going to hate and be angry at you for not treating me the way that I want to be treated. Folks, that's the opposite of forgiveness. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to, I decide not to. Well, decide not to. Be thankful and stop having resentment. Now, these are some tools. These are some ways that I think we can all be more adaptable in our relationships. Uh, we can let challenges and difficulties draw us together rather than create a wedge between us that drives us apart. What I want us to talk about just for a second here, uh, really a, a last kind of key to adaptability, and that's to maintain focus on the reality of life and its ever-changing situations. Listen, folks, let me just, I, I hope not to burst your bubble. Whatever you have in your mind as your expectation of the next three years, I'll bet you, if I was a gambling man, I would bet you $1,000 it's not going to work out like you say. In fact, if you want to do a little experiment, we could all write down this afternoon uh, uh, everything we think is going to work out in our life in three years and exactly what our life is going to look like in three years. We can seal those up in an envelope and open them three years from now. Not a one of us will be right. Not a one of us. Folks, that's, welcome to life. Welcome to life on the planet Earth. Life is going to be hard. Life is going to throw us a bunch of curveballs that we weren't expecting. It is never going to meet our expectations. It is never going to work out the way that we want it to or the way we thought it was going to. We have to embrace the reality of life and relationships. But I think there are some things that will really help us, Okay. A couple of verses I want you to think about and, and talk about these in your community group this week. First Colossians 3.2. Here's what it's... So have an eternal spe- perspective, folks. 
When I'm thinking about God and his kingdom, I'm not quite so worried about how everybody's treating me. Matthew 6.33, but seek first these two things. It's an interesting verse. Seek first these two things, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Listen, if you want to have the right perspective, if you want to to have deep loving relationships and, and just live in those places, here's one of the keys. Seek something, but don't seek to have people be who you want them to be or have them meet your needs the way you want them met. That will always lead to disappointment. Seek first God's kingdom, seek his righteousness, and everything else is going to work out, folks. It just will. And then lastly, 1 John 4, 7. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Folks, deep love is an attribute of the God we know, the God of the Bible. We can only experience deep love if we have truly experienced God's love first by giving our lives to him. And I don't mean praying the prayer on the back of a track or, or, or praying a, a prayer at youth camp and saying, now I can live like I want, I'm covered. Folks, it's about really giving our lives to Jesus. And when we experience that and his spirit comes and lives within us, it changes not only our eternities, but it changes the way that we live. It changes who we are. It changes the way we interact with one another. It changes everything. And so if you haven't done that, folks, or, or you don't understand what we mean by that, what we're talking about is just coming to the realization that we are all sinners, that you can't do anything to stop being a sinner yourself. And only by giving your life to God through his son, Jesus Christ, by putting your faith and trust in what he did on the cross to pay for our sins, can you experience eternal life and this life, this new life in Christ. That's the only way it can be done. It's not by jumping through some hoops or uh, doing a bunch of things. It's not about being religious or getting baptized or all, all those things. It's about truly putting our faith and trust, all my eggs in one basket, all my chips to the center of the table, saying, Jesus, I'm betting on you. I am, and I am, all my eggs are in one basket. I am trusting Jesus to save me from my sinful state. And if he doesn't, there is no plan B. That's what I'm putting my faith and trust in. And folks, when you do that, God will change your life. Now listen, if you haven't experienced that, I don't want you to leave here today without doing that. As for the pastor, maybe that's the one you, maybe you'd say, I've already, I'm giving my life to Jesus today. I'm making that decision. That's fine. Uh, uh, Come and talk to us before you leave today. Uh, Talk to me, talk to Pastor Derek, talk to Pastor John, talk to any one of the leaders in our church, talk to somebody in the the, uh, uh, Connection Center before you leave today. Because I want you to experience not only eternal life in Jesus, but I want you to experience really deep, loving relationships that can only come through knowing him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity. God, we're thankful for your word that teaches us and leads us to be more like your son. God, do a good work in us that you continue. Father, forgive us where we failed you. We thank you for your ongoing forgiveness. God, I pray for myself that you would make me a better man, a better husband, a better father, a better grandfather, a better pastor, a better friend. God, help each one of us to really fulfill uh, the relationship potential that you see in us, that you have put in us. Help us yield to your spirit,
and let you have full rule and reign in our lives so we can experience these relationships that you've talked about. God, we're thankful. We're so thankful for everything that you have done for us, everything you are to us, and everything that you will do for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.